Good morning, Parkway Church. So glad you guys are with us, whether you're gathered in Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or Parkway Online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mike, and I'm really excited to continue the series above all else with you. In this series, we're walking through Paul's letters to the church to ask the question, how can I love Jesus, trust Jesus, depend upon Jesus above all else? Last week, we looked at defiant joy. Well, today we're going to dig deep. We're going to dive in to God's amazing grace. And I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. We're going to look together at Paul's book to Titus. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to open up together to Titus chapter 2. As you turn in your Bible or you open your phone or you click on the app and, and follow along there, let me tell you a little bit about Paul and Titus and their relationship with each other. Titus was one of Paul's partners in ministry. Titus ministered to the Corinthian church with Paul and would actually pass Paul's letters on to the Corinthian church. And here we're going to see one of Paul's writings to one of his partners in the gospel. And Paul's going to be writing to Titus, or Paul has written to Titus as he goes to the island of Crete. And the, Crete, the, the Cretan church had a very specific challenge that they were facing. In fact, one of the prophets of Crete, as you look at Titus chapter 1, said that the people that live in the people that form the Cretan church, they are liars, they are evil brutes, and they are lazy. And so what would the message of the gospel be to a group of people that were believers, but were known to be liars, known to be evil brutes, and known to be lazy? What would the message of the gospel be to this group? Well, Paul is going to have Titus focus on theology because the premise is this. If we believe the right things about Jesus, then we will live the right way in life in areas where it comes to our truthfulness. If we believe the right thing about Jesus, we'll overcome our lying with truthfulness in places where we're evil brutes and we're hurting people and mistreating people. What's the answer for that? Let's believe the right things about God and it'll change our behavior here on earth where we are lazy when it comes to doing good, where we're lazy when it comes to, to showing others our relationship with God. What's the answer? What's the teaching of the gospel? And today we're going to see Paul's solution to a church that was full of liars, that was full of evil brutes. Paul's solution to a church that was lazy with their faith is to teach them about God's grace. Because the idea is simple. If I understand God's grace, then it will change how I live. If I understand the truth of God's grace and see the full picture of God's grace, I have no option but to leave a man or a woman that is changed. And so we're going to dive deep into God's grace today. Let's begin in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So we see first that grace is an offer, and that grace has appeared and offers salvation to all people. What is the grace of God that Paul is pointing to that's appeared? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the truth and grace of God living among us. And so when Paul says that grace has appeared, he's talking about one man, 
Jesus Christ. He's talking about the man that came and was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect life and would die a criminal's death on the cross. In between his birth and his death, he taught with authority. In between his birth and his death, he performed miracles to show that he's God. In between his life and his death, he predicted he would die and he predicted he'd be raised again on the third day exactly as he was. So the grace of God has appeared. And what does the grace of God do? It offers salvation to all people. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter our background, no matter our ethnicity, no matter any aspect of human categorization, God says, my grace has appeared and my son Jesus offers salvation to all people. And some people hear about this grace of God and they say, Mike, that offer is too good to be true. In fact, Mike, in the 90s, I signed up for this 13 CDs for a penny thing from Columbia House because that offer sounded real good. And I'm still paying for that membership. My kids aren't going to college, but I'm still paying for that membership with Columbia House. Is there an ongoing commitment that comes with this grace of God? And so I want to make sure you hear loud and clear from Scripture that God offers salvation freely to every man, woman, and child by his grace. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our value. It's based on his grace. And he offers salvation to all who will believe in him and find life in him and him alone. But the grace of God not only saves us, the grace of God also changes us. So we have an offer to believe and find salvation. And then as believers, we have an opportunity or a command to let the grace of God continue to work in us and to change us and to mold us and to make us more like Jesus. Listen to how Paul writes it, speaking of this salvation. Titus 2, 12 through 13. This grace, this salvation, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Paul was writing to a group who was, who was like, they were lazy, they were evil, and they were liars. And he was saying that God's grace is going to teach you how to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this age. Can you imagine like they were liars and they were evil brutes and they were lazy. And this was before social media. And yet Paul is writing to them and saying, in this day and age, here's what you need to know. And the truth that he's going to share about God's grace teaching us is transferable and is needed for every age and every life stage. So God's grace teaches us to say no and teaches us how to live a godly life. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, grace is the power by which God shows his love for us and invites us into a relationship with Jesus. And then grace is the means by which you and I live our lives. Grace not only saves us, but grace teaches us. And it teaches us how to live an upright, self-controlled, godly life. So what's Paul's answer for a group of people that have an issue with the truth? It's God's grace. 
What is Paul's answer for a group of people that are evil brutes? It's God's grace. What's Paul's answer for a group of people who are lazy? It is God's grace. So believer in Jesus, know this. God's grace not only saves you, but God's grace changes you to look and to live more like Jesus. In some of Paul's other writings, he warns people to not trample on God's grace. Because when you realize that God's grace is available to all, and God's grace never runs out, and God's grace always works, and is always like just one prayer away. When we realize this about God's grace, some people take advantage of, or as Paul put it, they trample on God's grace. So I have three questions as I jump into today's message for you to consider about God's grace. First one, is God's grace permission to say yes to anything? Or is God's grace the power to say no to ungodliness? Your answer right there shows the place of grace in your life. Second question, is grace coverage for anything wrong we want to do? Or is it the catalyst for change in our lives? As you look ahead, it's your decisions you're going to make this week. Do you use God's grace as one of those, well, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission? One of my kids said that this week about a, a, a thing that they're dealing with in life. And they said, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hope they didn't learn that from me. But how many of us as believers use God's grace and we apply God's grace to our future bad decisions? Is God's grace the power that, that will forgive your future bad decisions? Or is God's grace that which empowers you to live a new and different life so that you don't have to make bad decisions? That shows the position of God's grace in your life. And is God's grace a blanket to make us comfortable? Or, it is, the, or is it the basis of living differently? Church, if we're not careful... We will allow the fact that we are saved by grace, sustained by grace, and look forward to a day when by grace Jesus is coming again. We'll use that grace to be our blanket. And let us be comfortable instead of using God's grace as the one and only basis by which we live a different life and share that different life with others. Sum it up. God's grace it's the catalyst that gives us the power to say no to ungodliness. And God's grace is the power that allows us to say yes to Jesus above all else. So grace, what's it do? It allows you to live a self-controlled life. To that person who struggled with honesty in Crete, what does Paul say? God's grace will teach you how to live a self-controlled life. To that person who was an evil brute, what does Paul say? Paul says that God's grace will teach you how to live an upright life. To that person who was lazy, Paul says that God's grace will teach you how to live a godly life in this present age. 
So what do we learn as we keep reading the book of Titus? And Titus is a short book. In my Bible, it's just a front and a back, right? It's just, it's two pages. It's front and back. I encourage you to read it all this afternoon. But as we learn about God's grace today, I want you to focus on three things that God's grace does for us. And we learn about these three things in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, Paul continues the thought. says, Jesus, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, Paul, even in just this little two-page letter in our Bibles today, even in this little two-page letter, over and over and over again, he emphasizes the fact that we should do good because of the good things that God is doing in our life through our relationship with Jesus. And so even in just this one verse, maybe if you're one that underlines or circles in your Bible, what does grace do? Grace redeems, and you can underline that. And we're going to dig into that in just a moment. What else does grace do? Grace purifies for himself a people. Grace purifies us, and then what else does grace do? It mobilizes us to do what is good. So let's focus on that first one. And you can fill in that first blank. Grace redeems. And as we look at grace redeeming us, I believe that this may be the most shocking attribute of God's love, mercy, and grace that's ever been displayed to mankind. That a holy, loving, perfect, just God would redeem people like you and me. Redeeming means that you pay a price to receive something. You pay a price to have something. And in this case, God gave his son The price that he paid was his own son to redeem us, to redeem us from our sinfulness, to redeem us from our brokenness, to redeem us from a life separated from him and a life destined for hell. See, this is shocking. God's grace redeems me. Listen to this, Titus 3, 3 through 5. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See, what Paul is trying to communicate to Titus and then through the people to the people is that I once was just like you. In fact, Paul would say, I was worse than you. I was the, I was the worst of all sinners. There was once a day when it could have been said of me that I was a liar, that I was an evil brute, and that I was sinfully lazy. I was a sinner of all sinners, Paul would say. But something happened. But when the kindness, verse 4, when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Sometimes we need to remember who we were so that we thank God that we're not that person anymore. And we thank God that we're not that person anymore because he has redeemed us. If you're here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there was a point in time where you said, God, I believe that I'm a sinner and your son is the Savior. I'm going to believe in him for life. I'm not going to put my hope or my trust in anything I can do. It's all about what Jesus has already done for me. Then you have been redeemed. And God bought you with a price. He paid a personal price for you. 
sending his son. And I need you to know that this redemption isn't based on who you were and your value in and of itself. You were a sinner dead in your sin. This redemption wasn't based on what you could add to God's team. This redemption was based on his grace. Think about redeeming. And I, I flash back to times when I've taken my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. You ever say to your kids, hey, let's go have a fun couple hours and spend a few thousand dollars? That's Chuck E. Cheese. So you go and you eat cardboard. And then you go play games. And some of these games spit out tickets if you're good. And they spit out tickets and then you go put it in the ticket shopper. And then you walk up to their redemption window. And you have played games for two hours. You're, you're tired. Your kid's still on a sugar high. Like they are ready to go. And they walk up and they've got 38 tickets. That's what you've earned for all of your work. 38 tickets. On the top shelf, there's that toy for 10,000 tickets. Nobody's ever going to get that toy. Your kid's like, I want that toy. Can we save for that toy? You're never getting that toy. Nobody would ever pay the price for that toy. And so you go up and you hand them your 38 tickets. And the only thing you can get for 38 tickets is a pencil, one sleeve of Smarties, and maybe this, this army guy on a parachute. And so you walk out and you're like, this cash-to-value ratio did not work. And this toy up here, no, who in the world would pay that price? million dollars for a 1982 boombox. Not going to happen. <laughs> Do you realize that in the story of redemption, you and I are the ones that God paid a, who would ever pay that price for? And you and I are the ones that the price he paid was exactly the price that earned our salvation, but we had no right to that. It's only by God's grace. In the story of God's redemption, I don't know if you're the smart or you're the pencil, but God paid a price for you that seems so extravagant because it is, that seems so, un, like we're so unworthy because we are. And yet by God's grace, he redeemed us. But that's not the only thing God's grace does. We see that God's grace in this passage, Titus chapter 3, God's grace not only redeems us, but God's grace purifies us. And you can fill in that blank. God's grace, when we say yes to Jesus, when we by faith enter into a relationship with Jesus, what does God's grace do? God's grace not only saves us, but God's grace gets to work and purifies us. Here's a question, church. Is God's grace a permission slip for you? Or is God's grace a change order in your life? Is God's grace permission to do anything and everything you want? Or is God's grace the change order in your life that says you don't have to be who you were? By my grace, I will change you. By my grace, I will purify you. Is God's grace a permission slip to continue on with who you were? Is God's grace the change order that invites you to this life-changing, life-giving, ever-growing relationship with God? 
What Paul is going to tell Titus is that God's grace in the life of a believer is a change order. And you change according to his grace by the power of God and his Holy Spirit at work in you. Bottom line, grace not only saves me, but God's grace changes me. Read about it here, Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We are reborn one time as believers, but we are renewed daily by the power of the grace of God. His mercies are new and fresh every day. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified, that's made right with God, that's that one-time rebirth, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You see, what happened when we said yes to God by grace, his grace not only saves us, but his Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and changes us to be more like Jesus. It is his grace that we lean on when we fail so that his grace will change us. It is his grace that we lean on when we discover a new area in our life that we need to hand over to the leadership of Christ. It is his grace that we run to when we need him. Here's a question. Why is it that Christians, when they fail, run away from God instead of running to God? Why is it that when Christians struggle, they don't rely on the purifying power of God's grace? You have trusted him with your eternity. Will you trust him today and say, God, your grace can purify me. It can teach me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It can teach me to say yes to living an upright, godly life that's self-controlled. You can change me by your grace. See, God's grace includes a lesson for you and for me. God's grace includes a development plan for you and for me so that we will continue to grow and we will continue to change. God is purifying for himself a people. And how is he doing it? He's doing it by his grace. When I think about God and how he purifies us by his grace, what scares me is that I believe that Christians, if we're not careful, can fall into this religious walk with God that says, when I am dirty, when I am unclean, when I am sinful, I'm not going to come to God until I clean myself up. When Christy and I lived in D.C., we had some good friends that we would hang out with on a regular basis. They had a kids our, our son's age, and so it was really easy just to throw the boys in one room, and we'd do homemade pizza and hang out. And one night, we got to their house, and they had a nice house. It's, you know, preschool clean, is, preschool clean is challenging, because if you've got preschoolers, your house is never really clean. It's just almost picked up, right? And so we showed up at their house, and their house was, was in, in good shape, but, but my friend said, hey, just so you know, our house isn't as tidy as it normally is. We had to fire our housekeeper, and they had somebody who came in every couple weeks to help uh, to put the house back in order and to clean. And I said, what happened? Did, did they steal? Nope, they didn't steal. What happened? Did they do a bad job? Nope, they did a phenomenal job. When they left, the house smelled good. The carpets were clean. The floors were, it was phenomenal. They did a great job. 
So what happened? Did you, did you, did you, like his business tough? This guy owned his own, like his business tough and you're having to tighten the budget down at home. He's like, no, business is great. I said, well, why in the world would you hire, would you fire somebody that you can afford and that didn't steal and was doing a great job? Why would you, why would you do it? He said, well, we realized that we were having to clean the house up before the housekeeper got there. We were having to clean too much to get the house ready to be cleaned. And so we fired the housekeeper. Do you realize that that's the ultimate definition of religion? Us trying to clean up our house before coming to the one who cleans up our house? It is the grace of God that purifies you. Yes, we have to join God in that process. We have to make good decisions, wise decisions. Yes, we have work to do. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, this respect for God. But never, ever forget that believer in Jesus Christ, you're renewed every day by the grace of God. And God says that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence because we are his sons or daughters. If you are struggling, don't run from God. Run to God. If you need strength and encouragement, don't run from God. Run with a confident, grace-filled heart. You run right to him. If you need strength to get through tomorrow in a new and different way, run to God and not from God. One of the practical ways you do it is you wake up in the morning and you say, God, help me today to be a person that lives self-controlled, upright, godly life. Like pray the scripture back that we're studying today. Just say, God, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to be this man, to be this woman, to be this person at work, to be this person as you're waiting to pick up your kids in the line at school. God, help me to be this person. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me to be upright. And help me to live a godly life. By his grace, he transforms us. And then last, grace also mobilizes us. So grace redeems, grace purifies, and then lastly, grace mobilizes. A moment ago, I asked you, do you see grace as the blanket in which you get comfy as a Christian? Here's another perspective to consider. When it comes to grace mobilizing you, is grace your hammock? that you're sleeping in, Christian? Or is grace a catapult that God is using to send you out into the world, to send you out into your relationships, to offer God's grace and to live by his grace? Paul writes this to the church there in Crete. Titus 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. What was Paul's answer to lazy Christianity? God's grace that mobilizes. God's grace that leads you to be devoted, leads me to be devoted to the right things. Be devoted to what is good. Things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. One of the evidences of God's grace at work in us is that we are out sharing God's grace with others. Whether that's living by God's grace 
when you mess up and you go ask for forgiveness. It is really humbling to go to one of your children and say, hey, I messed up. Will you forgive me? But the life that's mobilized by God's grace will be humbled and go do that in every relationship, even the one where you're supposed to be the leader. The life that's mobilized by God's grace will also go out and share God's grace with others. We are servants in our community because of God's grace and his activity in us. God's grace catapults us into sharing his grace with others. And this leads to a life that is excellent and profitable for everyone. A few weeks back, Russell preached and he asked a very pointed question that I want to ask again. He asked this. He said, who is benefiting from your relationship with God? God has redeemed you. God is purifying you. Now the question is, who is benefiting from your relationship with God? See, God calls us by his grace to share his love and his mercy with others. I mean, pressing in one step further, what return on God's investment is he getting from you right now? Believer in Jesus Christ. He has invested his son. He has poured his spirit into you. What's the return right now? The only answer to the life that is excellent and profitable is that you and I are committed to doing good in the power and the name of Jesus, to share his grace and to live his grace with the world around us. In just a moment, we are going to take communion together at each of our locations. And for those of you that are holding communion cups at your campus, if you've wasted the last 28 minutes without getting that cup ready, I encourage you to get it ready now. Because what we're going to do is you hold that cup is we're going to be reminded to live by God's grace alone. This week, as we live by grace alone, will you as a believer thank God that you have been redeemed? As we take communion together, we're going to say, God, thank you for dying in my place, and thank you for shedding your blood for my sins. Will you use this time, believer in Jesus Christ, will you use this time to thank God that he's redeemed you? Also, as you prepare to take communion, something scarier than a communion cup is coming before God and saying, God, I've got some sins to confess before you. God, will you cleanse me and will you make me pure one more time? God, would you work in me as I confess my sin to you? It's one of the reasons we take communion because it's a physical reminder of Jesus' real death for us. So we say, God, would you not only have a thankful heart, but give me a sensitive heart to the sin in my life. And then maybe as you hold that cup, you also say, God, I commit to doing good in the name of Jesus and to living based on your grace. See, when we take communion together, we get to taste and see just how good God is. And we get a chance to recommit, and we get a chance to confess, and we get a chance to live with gratitude. Because that's grace. God's grace on full display. 
when the kindness of God appeared. It offered salvation to all people. Will you say yes to Jesus today? Maybe even for the first time. And this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions so that we will live upright, self-controlled, godly lives as we wait for, pray for, long for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's worship God today. His grace above all else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to dive into your grace. God, now in this moment, I pray that you would prepare all of us to encounter your grace today and tomorrow and every day following. Church, maybe your encounter with God's grace leads you to thank him that he's redeemed you. Or maybe... Maybe just maybe it leads you to confess your sin to him. Or maybe his grace propels you to get out of the hammock and be sent out into the work of God, be catapulted by his grace. Maybe his grace leads you to commit, to do good, and the kind of good that's excellent and profitable for everyone. Church, as you pray, if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life at any of our locations, you picked a great day to be here because God's grace is unescapable in this moment. And if today's your day to believe and to find life, you know you're a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus is the only way. You know that he gave his life and was raised again on the third day. If today's your day to believe that simple message, we invite you to mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life forever in heaven and a new life here on earth.